This is the Two Fish Podcast, where we try to keep biblical truths simple. Your hosts, Nick Burt and Aaron Apple. That's right. I am Nick Burt. Across from me is Aaron Apple. And this is the Two Fish Podcast. It's a podcast where we go through the Bible, whether topically or verse by verse, and we make it simple because Lord knows Christians can make the gospel complicated. Yeah. And it doesn't need to be. So we're not going to use fancy words. We're not going to use super high-tech anything. We're, we're reading through Scripture. This week specifically, we're reading through James 4. If you haven't heard James 1, 2, and 3, our study of those, go back and listen to those real fast so that you are caught up with us as we start chapter 4. But before we get into that, a giant celebration, it's Aaron and his wife's anniversary this weekend. Yeah, it's our anniversary. So if you uh, want to send us a gift, you can leave us a, a five-star review. <laughs> um, we also discovered, uh, since we started season three last week on a whim, yeah, that we're almost a year into this. Almost. Like, it's almost Two Fish podcast anniversary. I know. I know. So That's super exciting. I we, think last week was episode 40. Right. What was the burnout episode like? Number seven. seven. Yeah, we're 40, 40 in. This You're so. listening to episode 41, and the burnout for a podcast is seven. That's where most podcasts burn out. And thank you, thank you, thank you to all you who have downloaded the podcast, who have left reviews, who have done all that for us and supported us, um, Facebook friends, Instagram followers, everyone out there. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. We're on episode 41. Who would have thought? Not me. But we're here, and I'm still enjoying it, and Nick's still enjoying it. We're going to keep plugging along, and uh, we got new exciting things coming, right? So if you haven't listened to, to last week's episode, um, we are joining Destiny Rescue and the Goshen, Indiana Rotary Club for a Freedom Walk, in which uh, it's a 24-hour event. Chris Russell reached out to us and, and wanted us to come there and shoot some live stuff, maybe interview some people. And uh, so we're going to go join that event and come alongside those guys and and be there for that and try and help raise money for Destiny Rescue. Yeah, it is a 24-hour event. We won't be there the whole time. We'll come up with some times here in about the next week of specifically when we're going to be there. But we'll use it as a meet and greet for all you podcast listeners. If you want to come out, help us help support them with the sex trafficking industry. So without further ado, let's get into James 4. James 4, drawing close to God. What's your heading? Yours is different. Mine actually says warning against worldliness. Could you get any any more different? That's totally different headings, but within the scripture, we'll find that both those headings actually work. So it's just different. It's weird how different versions of the Bible pick out certain things as their titles. Right. And uh, just so you know, I'm in NLT version this week and not the NIV. And Nick is continuing with ESV or die. ESV or die. James 4, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and rage war to take away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you 
want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously, as the scriptures say. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance All such boasting is evil, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So there you have it, chapter 4. I think for context, let's just remind ourselves, James is talking and writing this letter to an early Jewish Christianity church. So they were Jews, Christ came, soon after he left, this is actually the first, I don't know if we've said this or not, but James is actually the, he's the brother of Jesus, I know we've said that, but This is actually the first chronological book of the New Testament. So these Jews are trying to figure out like what this new faith is, what this new Christianity thing is, this Christ follower thing. They've always lived under the law of Moses and the law of the Pharisees. And here they have the freedom now and the liberty to live outside of that law and live by this new law that Christ gives us, love the Lord your God with all your heart and then love your neighbor. So he's writing this letter to help these new Jewish Christians break away and out of that. So there's conflict going on, basically. All that to say, within this church, there's conflict between these Jews who, hey, we, we still should be following some of these rules, and these other Jews who are saying, no, Christ came to fulfill those rules. We can live differently now. That's really good, and that, that obviously leads into verse 1 for, for James 4 here. What is causing quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from evil desires at war within you? So it's, it's those desires that uh, the early Jewish Christians that are, that are scattered amongst the nations are they're trying to fight, right? They, they want to live by the law, which Christ freed us from, right? And there is that. Uh, like tug of war, trying to walk away from your old ways and into the new light, and it's a it's a constant battle. And those that's when those our evil desires pop up. Even now, as as you become a Christian and the things you you, you got to walk away from that Christ is leading you away from, it is hard not to get drugged back to those 
desires. And we've talked before, a lot of times those desires are comfortable. That life was comfortable for you for a long time and it, it became your normal. And now you're, you're fighting against those things, whatever they may be. Yeah. And I think on top of that, so not reverting back, but then on top of that, there's now this vacuum. We looked at in James three, not many should become teachers. So now the Pharisees, they're still there. They're still doing their thing with the Jews, but now there's this vacuum where, Hey, we don't need them anymore because we can have a relationship with Christ. And now these, some of these Jews are saying, well, I want to be a teacher and they're stepping up into that. And I think there's probably, that's maybe where some of this quarreling can come from. Is it like almost like a power trip? Well, who do I follow? Well, who's more important? Um, who's saying it right? Who's one up in each other? And there's probably a little bit of twisting of the words of Jesus too, to get that power. So I think a lot, there's a lot going on here for these early Christians. Verse two, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. I think the first part of that was kind of, maybe I should have waited to say that, but you desire something, you want something, You maybe you want, in that example I gave, maybe you want that status of a teacher and you're not getting it, so maybe you murder the other teacher. Now, that's an extreme example, I think, is what he's saying. And I think for practical, for us, not a lot of people are going out and doing that. However, Jesus said, if you have anger towards a brother, you might as well have committed murder. So I think interlocking what Jesus had said about murder, you don't have and you get angry that you don't have it. You covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel to try to get it. But really, maybe all you have to do is ask for it and you get it. But people are trying to take it into their own hands. Right. I think you could go back to the days of Moses, right? I can picture that in this, I guess. Like, they weren't being obedient and asking God for, for what they wanted. They kept trying to go back to their own ways, and it, and it was that tug of war, and it took them 40 years to finally get to the promised land, and as we talked about in that episode, like, it should have been a two-week journey to get to the promised land, but they they fought, and they quarreled, and they basically raged war on themselves to try and get to the promised land, so this is a this is similar to that in the way it's worded in my eyes. Yeah, I think that's a good parallel there. Two different stories. Verse 3 says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. What does the end of yours say on verse 3 there? Verse 3 is, And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Okay. So, yeah, mine, mine says you could replace passions with pleasure. I think the end of 2... And three, are I feel like I hear those two verses used out of context a lot. And let me, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but let me explain. You desire and do not have. You do not have because you do not ask. You do not have because you ask wrong. I think that a lot of times Christians use that to say, well, I just need to ask God correctly and he's going to give it to me. Because God doesn't want to give us the desires of our heart. Our heart's desires should be of him. And I think that's where he's saying you spend it on your own pleasure, on your own passions. I think a lot of times I feel like I hear that used in a con- like in a context of healing. My family went through something a little over a year ago now. Healing was a big thing for us. We prayed for healing. Now, that ultimately didn't happen. Well, it did. It became ultimate healing. But 
I feel like those verses, hey, you just need to ask, or you need to have more faith when you ask. You're not having enough faith, so you didn't get. I feel like these couple and verses like this, maybe not this one specifically, but verses just like this are used out of context. We need to look at these verses in context. James is not talking about healing. He's not talking about, I don't think he's even talking about money here. I mean, he could be, you covet things, so you fight and quarrel to get those things, but you do not, I think that we totally miss it here. He's talking about the body of Christ. I think he's talking about maybe even positions here. You murder, you covet, but you can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Like, why would you fight and quarrel someone over healing? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. So I think these verses need to stay in context. And then I think the other thing about those verses is because you ask wrongly, because you want to spend it on your own pleasure and on your own, it's for you. It's, it's God's money. It's God's stuff. He allows us to be stewards of it. But sometimes he's not going to allow us to come into that th- stuff, I feel like. This is me. Because of our motives, it's, it's personal. It's so that we can have the big house or the big car or whatever it is. I feel like sometimes that's why he, we feel like he doesn't answer our prayers. But it's for our better good. Now, I, I think you're exactly right, Nick. Like we, A lot of times when we go into prayer, we're, we're praying about our own motives. We're praying about the things we want, the things we desire. But why do we desire those things is what we need to check ourselves with. Why, why do we want a bigger house? Why do we need a bigger house? Our houses here in America are probably too big. Yeah. You, you go to other countries, and they'd be lucky to have our first floor, right? let alone a a basement that's finished and then upstairs with three bedrooms and two bathrooms and, you know, whatever we got going on. When I look at this and and it's telling us you ask, but you don't get because your motives are all wrong. It's because we're not trying to do as we like to refer to it, kingdom work with those things. It is selfish desires. And And the more our prayers of those type, the more we try and and boast ourselves. The, the less we're going to see God and recognize God in those. Like, he's not going to answer those prayers. He's not going to build you up in that manner. You said kingdom building there. Are these desires kingdom building, or are they for pleasure? Again, in context here, clearly answering a quarrel between Christians. Are these quarrels benefiting the ultimate furthering of the gospel? Are they kingdom building? Are these quarrels petty? Are these quarrels... Are the things you're wanting pushing you towards that or are they keeping you away from that? And I think that's something to think about when we have fights with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Is that holding us back or are these arguments strengthening us and moving us forward? Last couple episodes, we've said this a lot about kingdom building. Or is it pushing us towards that and making us better? I agree. Verse four, you adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. I think that's saying the the same kind of thing right there. The more you like these worldly possessions, the more you try and build yourself up to look like a king yourself, the less God is able to use you or the less God is going to use you until you become humble. I think that's a really good point. My thing with this verse is the Bible says to live in this world, but not of this world. So we're supposed to look different. We're supposed to be different. I've said before on the podcast, if people don't know you're a Christian, you might be doing something wrong because they should know. 
They should know you're a Christ follower. They should know, hey, something's a little bit different than him. And maybe they need to ask you about it. My question is, and I think for a lot of maybe churches, we want to look super cool and we want to blur that line. Like I've literally been to churches where they like perform a secular song on stage, on a big stage. There's a there's a church in our area that does that quite frequently, actually. And I and I think that's cool. Maybe they change the word baby to Jesus. I don't know. I'm throwing out a weird example, but it really seems like you're trying to be just like this world and not different. You adulterous people, do you not know what that friendship with the world is being an enemy with God? Like, that's a pretty strong statement. That's a pretty strong, you should, if you want to look like that, just understand you look like someone that's an enemy of Christ. That verse has always got me there. Like, how close, and maybe I shouldn't say it like that. Maybe that's a horrible thing, way to think about it. But where is that line between being in this world and being of this world? Because I think relevancy is good. To be relevant, to be able to relate to people is good. But where's that line? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I mean, that's a pretty strong statement there. You're going to have to draw that line in the sand somewhere. I just wonder where it is for us personally. The one thing that really stands out to me is the first two words in verse 4. You adulterers. And he opens that up with a, I mean, it's got an explanation point in mind. I doubt they had those back in the day, but <laughs> it's a very bold statement. You are basically cheating on God in this, and it, and he continues to hammer it down as, as Nick explained, but that is what really stands out to me. You, He is basically calling us a bunch of cheaters, yeah. and we're, we're cheating on God. Our, our marriage to God is not what it should be. That's extremely harsh. Like, you don't just go around telling people, you're an adulteress. You you cheated. Like, that's just not something we do. But James is really throwing it out there with the exclamation point. My, my version has that too. You're cheating on God. You're, you're being unfaithful to Christ because you want to look like the world, because you have a friendship with the world. Now, that's not to say you can't have friends that are not Christians. God, God may have put you in their life for a reason. But if you're trying to be friends with the world, look like the world, be of this world, you are a cheater in God's eyes. Just like if you're angry, you might as well commit murder. If you lust, you might as well be c- committing adultery. I, those are pretty bold statements James is using here. That's good. That's a good thing to point out there. Verse 5, do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him, and he gives grace generously as the scriptures say. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I love the way mine, verse 5, reads better than yours. It says, Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealousy over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? So that Spirit of the Lord that he put in each of us, he gets jealous when we want to live like the world or be like the world or be friends with the world. Like he gets, God gets jealous about that. That the spirit he gave you is looking somewhere else other than him. All right. We're choosing a different path rather than the, the one that the spirit's telling us to go to. Yeah. So we're, we're cheating on God. We're, we're going left and God's telling us to go right. Yeah. And we're just like, Nope, going left. And he's jealous about that. Yeah. Like, he wants you to come towards him, and you're going the other way. 
towards something else and he feels that jealousy about the fact that you're giving that time or that energy or that need of something else instead of of him I, I just love the way mine says that with that word jealousy and then like you said verse six but he gives more grace he gives grace to that he doesn't get it but he gets it and he's going to forgive it like yeah. we're, we're going to stumble we're going to look away we're going to go the other way i give grace i under like you're forgiven but come back to me he's still jealous he wants us to come to him instead and he says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And I think that right there points to having a repentant heart, having that when you realize that you're going the other way and saying, oh, I need to humble myself and realize I screwed up. I made a mistake and I need to turn around and go the other way. I think that's part of the grace thing is having that repentant heart to understand, oh, man, I screwed up. I made, I jealous, God is jealous right now. I screwed up. I'm going to be humble and admit that I screwed up that maybe I sinned, maybe I did something I shouldn't have, whatever it is, but be humble about it. Not making a bunch of excuses, which how many times do we do that in our own lives? We do something wrong, and then we make excuses for it to try to make it not as bad as it was maybe, versus just becoming humble and saying, you know what, I screwed up. I'm going to turn back. God gives grace to that, rather than being proud, saying, well, it's fine. I'm not, I haven't crossed the line yet. That line we were just talking about, how close do you get before, like, well, I haven't crossed the line yet. That's that's an arrogance. That's a proud being Walk, proud. Walking on the line, you've probably gone too far. Yeah, right? there you go. And the the other thing, to keep in mind, maybe maybe you're in that position right now where you've gone left and you're starting to discover you should have went right. God always provides a way out. There's always He's always got a way for you to get out of that hot mess. So don't lose sight of that either. Yeah. Like it. It might be a serious struggle right now, but there it, there is a way out of that. And and part of that is becoming humble and admitting, I know I went the wrong way, so God, show me the way out. Start praying about the way out. And admitting you need Jesus, being humble enough to admit that you need help. That's good. That is, that'll preach right there. Verse 7, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's a pretty short word, but it's like, here you go. Here's how you do it. Submit yourselves and resist the devil. And, and the devil will flee from you. It doesn't say and flee from the devil. The devil is going to flee from you. Oh, that's a good point. You know, God calls us to stand firm. There's one area he tells us to flee from, right? Like, and that's sexual immorality. He tells you, tuck your tail and run, buddy. But for the most part, we're to stand firm and invite God. God in and invite Jesus in and the devil's going to flee from us because the devil knows he can't win. I love then into eight dear draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. You sinners purify your heart. You double minded be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Like there you go again. I feel like that. I feel like I keep getting ahead of myself here. The repentant heart. Wash your hands, you sinners. Get that sin off you. Understand you did wrong. Purify your hearts. You know, ask God for forgiveness. Yes, he's giving you grace, but you need to understand and be humble enough to say, hey, I screwed up here. I was going the wrong way. I need to make it right. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. So there he's pointing to that. Maybe that line that we're talking about where you're, if you're walking on it, you probably got your toe over it. You're, you're sitting there thinking, how what can I get away with here? You're being double-minded. Mine reads, 
and that on that part for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. That's pointing to the fact that once again, as we read earlier, our worldly desires are dividing us from God. They cause a division in our own lives. And the more we can die to ourselves, the closer we're going to get to God. And verse 10 had that humble word there. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. We're to be slaves to God. And when we put ourselves down there and we humble ourselves, no one wants to be a slave. Who wants to be a slave? But when we put ourselves in that position, as God calls us to, we're humbling ourselves enough. God sees that he's going to exalt us, ultimately exalt us in heaven, maybe change our circumstances here. Who knows? But I mean, scripture says he's going to exalt us. Verse 11, and I start a new heading here, warning against judging others. What's your heading? Mine doesn't start till verse 13. Mine, oh. 11 is still part of the first one. Isn't that weird how they do that? Yeah, I don't understand that. But verse 11, don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law. Not to judge, rather it applies to you. Yeah, this verse 11, I think, you and I have talked about a gossip. doesn't seem like it hurts anybody. You're just talking. It's a sin. The Bible says gossip is not right. And I feel like I'm, I feel like I can be a gossiper. Like, I like to know what's going on. I like to hear things. You know what I mean? Like, I like the information. But at what point does gossip become slander? Where you're speaking evil against another person to the point that you're maybe hurting their reputation behind behind their back. I got slander. That's a sin. So at what point does the gossip, which is wrong anyway, become then slander, which is like in, when I think of the two, when I hold the two up in my hand, slander seems like it's a lot worse. They're both wrong. But slander seems like a lot worse. And I think the line in between those is pretty doggone close. That's something as I've been studying this, I'm like, man, yeah, I probably blurred that line before. I I need to start paying more attention to that. And I had a conversation actually today with someone, and I was like, hey, I've been dealing with this. So right now in this conversation, I want to throw it out right now. I do not want to slander. I do not want to speak ill about something. But here's a situation, and I was trying to spiritually talk through a situation. I do not want to slander this person. You know what I mean? Like have an understanding and making that connection of constantly be thinking about the practicality of James in our everyday lives. You got you got to think about this stuff. And then verse 12, there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Yeah, and I think I think what part of what I see in this like obviously James is talking about quarreling here, so people are trying to I guess I I can picture people are trying to pit each other against each other. And in that, I also see that when I read this, like people are trying to point themselves to higher position than what they belong. They're trying to, to be the judge, to be, you know, the end all of end all. And they're speaking evil about the other people. And it's just not good. And ultimately God is our judge and we need to allow him to judge the situations. And I think that the situation that I was talking about with a friend today, a spiritual, you know, kind of mentor person was, hey, you know what, maybe you don't have to do anything. You don't need to judge. If it's wrong, God will God will fix it himself. Like Maybe you don't need to do anything. Just allow it, God to work it out how he wants it worked out. And I think there you go. I don't need to put myself in some position where I shouldn't be 
don't stick your neck out into a situation maybe you're not even involved in because then you're you're acting like the like it says the judge you're putting yourself into a situation and above the situation when really just let it work out and maybe you shouldn't even be in this situation yeah you know yeah it could be anything now this is where my my section changes it says boasting about tomorrow what yeah this is where my section well no i have another section another section after this one no it's this it, i break here after really? judge your neighbor i get another section warning about self-confidence wow mine says boasting about tomorrow and i didn't have the section you had before i think it's important to understand though that none of these breakdowns james wrote like this is later in translations we've decided to add these so a lot of times when we read the Bible, you got to understand James probably wrote one through five. It's one long letter to the church. And so we just have in variations of the Bible broken it down to make it easier to read. Just interesting how they do that. Verse 13, come now you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Is James saying don't plan ahead? I think he's saying don't get don't get too cocky. Oh, interesting. I didn't think of that that way. Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Okay. This is like a business guy coming in. I'm going to come into this town. I'm going to make a bunch of money. I'm going to be here for a year. Like He's saying, I already know what I'm going to do. I already have all my plans. And he's probably not walking with God. So he's, he's being a little cocky. I also think, though, it points to maybe understanding that you might not have tomorrow. Tomorrow's never promised. Like you plan it out and you got these huge plans and maybe it's out of selfish ambition and being cocky, but then you could die in a car accident tomorrow. You know what I mean? And I think, why are you making such big plans when you have right now today to deal with? Now, I pose that question, does James saying we shouldn't plan? No, I don't believe that. I think we should make plans and we should plan ahead and plan our you know, when you look at finances, plan your finances. Out. Like, you should make plans. But understanding that, A, it could change. God could call you to something else. You know what I mean? Here this business guy says, I'm going to stay here for a year. Well, look at Matthew in the Bible. Matthew was a tax collector. He made a lot of money. He was ripping people off. And then all of a sudden, this guy named Jesus comes through and says, follow me. Yeah. That completely changed Matthew's plans. Like, completely. He's a He's become a new person now. He's a follower of Christ. Like, you don't know what's going to happen. So don't put all your eggs into that future basket that may not even show up because God could call you something else. That's really good. And verse 15 finishes this story. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live here and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Verse 15, I think, if the Lord wills, this is my plan. My plan is to do this so I can do that. Maybe it's to make the money so I can be more generous. Or maybe it's to build this so that I can be set up to do something else. But understanding that God may change our road. Right. And wow, what comes to mind for me, like I totally agree with everything you're saying. But the one way we're going to know God's will is we have to communicate with him. We have to be in prayer. And that's what comes to mind even with the previous section, like, don't just go and judge your neighbor and speak evil into his life. Like, pray about the situation. Pray about what's going on. Pray about your future plans, that one-year plan that you have. 
be in prayer about it. Like, God, is this what you want for me? What do you desire for me? Not what do I desire for myself? You're not telling God, this is what I want. You're asking God, what do you, what do you want for me? How can I live my life better for you? And, and I think in this last this 13 through 15, it's James's warning against that. Don't go into a situation saying, this is what I got before you have asked God, what do you have in store for me, God? And then verse 16, I read, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. There you go to that business guy who walks in and says, he's greedy, he's he's boastful, he's arrogant. Arrogance is evil. All such boasting is evil. That selfish ambition that we talked about in chapter 3, that's evil. It might not feel like it, but if our eyes are not set on him when we're doing what we're doing, I like how you said we need to be praying. If we're not praying about what we're planning on doing, and maybe we're planning on doing this, but we're saying, God, if you want something different for me, or you want it to look different, open that door. Yeah. Or allow me to see a different route. Help me to see change. Maybe the outcome ends up the same. Maybe you end up being where you wanted to be. God just said, hey, let's do it a little different. And maybe it's easier for you. Yeah. Instead of spending 40 years in the wilderness, maybe exactly. you could have went on a, a two-week hike. Exactly. And Why? got to the same spot. God didn't want you to suffer. He, he's, he wants you to do it the right way. But you need to say, God, if it's your will, this is where I want to go. Yeah. And God will say, great, or no, no, there's going to be a lot of suffering down that road. I want you to do this instead. But we need to be, like you said, in that constant prayer saying, what do you have for me? What do you have for me? Where do you that. want me to go? I love that. Yep. Verse 17, and this is where it gets real for me. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. You know what you're supposed to do, and you choose not to. It doesn't get any simpler than that. You already know you shouldn't do that, and you go ahead and do it anyways. I think we kind of talked about that in James chapter 1. Go back and listen to that episode if you haven't. But verse 22, be doers of the word, not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, then he forgets about it. Knowing what we need to do and not doing it. Like that sounds ludicrous to say, well, I know what to do. I'm just not going to do it. But how often we do do that. And here in James chapter four, he's saying, if you know what's right and you don't do it, you're sinning. Yeah. Like he put the exclamation point on what he talked about earlier. No, he de- he definitely drove it home. I think in, in chapter four here, he's, he's putting the hammer down and, and that that's the end hammer. You know, you shouldn't be quarreling with each other over, over these issues. And yet you continue to do it. Therefore, it is sin. It is not what you are called to do. It is not how Christ has called you to live. But yet you continue to do it. Yeah, he's writing to these Jewish Christians. He's telling them what to do. And he's saying, if you don't do now you know. Maybe they didn't know. Maybe they're, they're I mean, they're still trying to figure this out. Jesus has just left. It's not been that long. They're just still trying to figure this out. And he's saying, now you know what to do. Don't quarrel. Don't fight. Don't look like the world. Look like Christ. Now you know. I've told you what you're doing, and I've told you that you're doing it wrong. Now if you do do it wrong, there you go. Here's the hammer. You're sending. Boy, that's kind of convicting. Yeah, once again, James is, uh, I don't know why he's got to be so mean, but (laughs) (laughs) he's just, it's 
it's just a, a really good, really good book in the Bible. Like, and it, it is, you can apply it to your daily walk. There's not a chapter in James that we've talked about that where I, I haven't struggled in my life or I'm not currently struggling. I've read James before. It's a good book. I know it's a good book to read. Like it's it's a practical book. I know that. But I feel like this time around that we've been studying it, I've definitely gotten something different out of it this time. Like I've gotten more out of it because of maybe of my season in life. I think you can write, read the Bible a hundred times and you'll get something different from the same words every single time because of where you're at in your own personal life. Yeah. So there's a lot of things. If you haven't been reading through, if all you're doing is listening to us, go pull out your Bible and actually read it. Because we don't have God's words. His words are in this Bible. So that's the first thing I'd say. But the second thing is, if you have read it, read it again. You might see it differently and realize, oh, I thought I was just gossiping. Now I'm slandering. I I might be crossing that line. The other one could be, we kind of talked about this before, like we try and build up that, that 401k and maybe that's too much of your focus. Like, and, and you're being, you putting too much worldly possession there and, you're not focusing on what you can do in retirement to, as we refer to it, do kingdom work. Yeah, that's like, good. There's nothing wrong with saving up some money, putting a 401k, but this is a scenario. Be in prayer about it. Don't just build the 401k so you can retire, but how? when I retire, how can I continue my walk with Jesus? How can I use that money in, in his kingdom? Yeah, that's good. I love it. Kingdom-oriented. So there you go. There's chapter four in the books. We've done one through four. We have one more to go. Stick with us next week. Make sure you have that subscribe or bell notifications on whatever platform you listen to us. Because if we ever do miss an episode like we did a couple weeks ago, uh, you'll be able to know when the new one gets uploaded. Chapter five is next week. Make sure you read through it and then join us next week on the Two Fish Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. Make sure you go out and join the Two Fish community on Facebook and Instagram. Also, hit those subscribe and follow buttons so you don't miss next week's episode of the Two Fish Podcast.